0: First job that I had working in the church was a great first job. As many of you know, I was hired through a church in Atlanta while I was in seminary to work with college students, but this job allowed me a lot of freedom to try some different things, including teaching and preaching. I still remember the first time that I was invited to preach at our main traditional uh, 11 o'clock worship service. Now, the thing that was happening in there is that I had been teaching in Sunday school classes and in this Monday night ministry for college students, and my uh, early style of preaching had evolved from using a manuscript to not using a manuscript. Um, But I was still very early on in that process, and I was nervous when I was invited to preach at the main service about whether I should use a manuscript or not because I didn't want to mess everything up. I talked to the senior pastor about it, who was a wonderful guy, who had actually been a part of encouraging me to try uh, preaching without notes, and um, uh, and I said, you know, maybe this isn't the occasion to to do it, because I've only done it in, like, small settings before, and he said, no, 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 this is the, the right time, you're called to this, you should do it. So I was really nervous that morning. And what I knew is is that the beginning of the sermon was really important, that if I could get going, there was a good chance things were going to be okay. So I really had practiced those opening sentences uh, to, to, to get everything moving in the right direction. As the service began, I was thinking about the sermon. I was practicing those opening lines. I was trying to make certain in my head that I was ready to go. And as the sermon was supposed to begin, the scripture was read right before the sermon. And the scripture was read by uh, an individual who was an elder in the church. Now, the passage I was preaching on was from Joshua chapter 2. And I think he saw the J and just uh, went with it and stood up and said that the scripture reading for today is... Thomas is gonna be preaching is on Judges, chapter two. And I was so in my head about my opening lines that I kind of heard it, but I didn't really compute but he started reading this random passage from Judges chapter two. And I froze going, my sermon is based on jumping straight in to lines that he's not reading. And so I leaned over to the senior pastor who was sitting in the chancel next to me. And it's awkward to do because like here at Covenant, the whole congregation's looking at you. So you can't subtly talk. But I leaned over to to Scott, the senior pastor. I said, Scott, and he leaned back. He goes, what? I said, he's reading the wrong passage. He said, what? I said, He's, I'm not preaching on that. What do I do? He goes, ah, you're not having notes anyway. I'll give you five bucks to preach on that one instead. And then he winked at me. It was actually the perfect response to what I needed. Because it taught me a lot about, well, not just what a sermon is, but what ministry is and what life is often like. The week was, in my world, kind of going, you got this. You're called to this. This call is real, but it's not neat and tidy. The path of what the call is going to look like isn't what you pictured in your head. He kept saying to me in the week leading up to it, without using notes, this isn't a performance. Remember, this isn't a performance. If you mess up, it's okay. It's not a performance. You're not performing for anybody. This is you as a part of a community with certain gifts. The community's asking you to use your gifts. And so I... Stood up, my opening lines completely useless. And I said, man, that's a great scripture passage from Judges chapter 2. Another great scripture passage is Joshua chapter 2. And I'm going to read that now and then we'll get going. You think about it, this is true of life. We have certain callings in our life, but then the path of getting there finds is winding and confusing, and at times it looks like what we thought our call would look like, and at times it looks really different. I mean, uh, uh, take take parenting for example. This call that we have to be stewards of these lives that God has given to us as moms and as dads, but there's no instruction manual with it. You just kind of launch into it, trusting in God to provide and trusting that you're going to be able to figure it out and do your best and trust that there's going to be grace for the moments that you make mistakes. This is true of the promise that we've made this morning in worship for Hannah Ross, saying that God's claim is upon her life. We see this call upon her life, but how is she gonna move from this day to her baptism to the day when she professes her own faith? We don't quite know. We don't know how the path's gonna move. At times, it's gonna look like what we think. At times, it might look really differently. And the thing is, is that when the path starts looking differently, the key is not to doubt the call. That was the beauty of what Scott was saying, is that, that, yeah, it's gonna look different, but the call's still there. You got this. It's not a performance. This is true in marriage. Every wedding that I have the blessing of being a part of and doing, you're aware of the fact when that couple looks at each other and says, for better or for worse, in sicknesses and health, for richer or poorer, till death do us part, they don't really know the details of what they're promising, but they're called to it. And then it's like, whatever this path looks like, in the times where it looks like what we think it's gonna look like, and the times where it feels like we are journeying in the dark, that we will follow and trust call of God and the promises that we make in this moment. It's important when the path starts feeling like a journey through the dark to not doubt the call because the path is part of the call, the process of what God's doing. We keep this in mind as we look at the scripture passage from the book of Luke. The first five verses of chapter two, this is something that usually we read these words on Christmas Eve as part of the opening 20 verses talking about the birth of Jesus. But I think as we are in this series and we talk about what it means to journey through the dark, it's important to just look at these five verses and really look at what Mary specifically in these verses has to walk through in this season. Think about what goes into this journey for her and how this call that she has to uh, have the Messiah and to raise him is going to all of a sudden start looking very different than probably what she even imagined it would look like. The path becomes very different. First of all, the path means that she has to journey and go through the physical toil in her, her final trimester of journeying from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She has to go on this journey at a time when modern doctors would tell you don't journey at all. And that's because, and we have suburbans and we have uh, uh, airplanes to go on. She has to travel 90 miles on the back of a donkey. She has to travel 90 miles with whatever the elements throw at her. That probably took about a week. uh, Scholars estimate that they probably traveled about 10 miles a day. A lot of the uh, terrain that they had to cross, Mary and Joseph, was very mountainous, very hilly, very difficult. It was slow going. And so for a week, this young woman in uh, her third trimester of pregnancy has the luxury of whatever the elements throwing at her having to sit in. If it's hot, she's going to burn. If it's cold, she's going to be cold. If it rains, she's going to be wet. She's going to sleep at night on the ground, not glamping, not an air mattress. She's got to just endure and move through this, which is not what anybody anticipates their first pregnancy might look like. She has to journey away from the community that she knows in Nazareth. As she prepared for her birth, she would have known that there would have been uh, her mother and and probably other women in the village who were experienced at at emotionally but physically helping someone through the process of childbirth, a very, very dangerous, uh, life-threatening process for both mother and child. And yet she's leaving everyone behind that she would have known who could have been with her emotionally and physically. We have to take into account that this journey, this winding path that she's on to the birth of Jesus means that she's gonna be making first impressions on Joseph's extended family in Bethlehem. Probably different than the one she anticipated when they got engaged, because she got to show up saying, hi, I'm the very pregnant fiance. and Deal with the whispers and the sideways glances that might've come. And all this is being dictated by a foreign emperor. She can't even look at it and go, well, that's not the candidate I voted for. She had no voice in anything that was happening to her. No one cared about the health of her and her baby as she was forced to make this journey. No one cared in authority that she was in the third trimester. Caesar Augustus, who declared that all people had to be taxed and go to their hometown, would not lose a moment's sleep if Mary made it through that journey or not. She has no agency. She has no control over this situation. And all she has to do is to trust the message that she got from God. that She would bear the one called Emmanuel, the promise that God is with us, the promise that she had to cling to the only thing, that as this unexpected path becomes her path, that God was with her. She had no way of knowing That thousands of years later, the words Bethlehem, the idea of her on a donkey would be something that we know as part of the story, part of what fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. This was part of what God was doing and the purpose that God was working out for the world and for her. But I imagine it probably felt a lot like a journey through the dark. Friends, if 2020 is anything, it's a year that we need to hear this story. We need to hear this idea that God's purpose is being worked out in our lives and being worked out in the world, and sometimes the ways that that is being worked out feels like wandering paths that don't look anything like what we thought the call would be. There might be elements of your life that just feel confusing, that feel like a mistake, that feel like God can't be a part of this, that feel like uh, that it's just lost time for us, for our children, for those whom we love. And for each of us today, I invite us to remind ourselves that though Mary was on a journey that may have felt like it was a journey through the dark, she wasn't wandering. She was going someplace. And so are you. So are we. And so I invite us to be encouraged today on this path that we find ourselves, this winding, twisting path that is different than what any of us thought. And as we picture it, I invite you to picture in your mind and to be encouraged by this candle. The candle that we lit today, the third candle in Advent. Think about all the different attributes of faith, all the different attributes of Christianity. It's amazing to me that these four are the four that the church has determined we celebrate to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. And the one for today is the candle of joy. There are a lot of ways to think about joy. Joy is a big, big word in terms of its meaning. But my favorite definition of joy, which I've shared with you before, comes from C.S. Lewis, who says that joy is not just being really, 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 really happy, but that joy is the presence of purpose, to have purpose in our life, to realize that God has purpose In this world, to realize that like Mary, we might be on a journey that feels different than anything we imagined our calls would look like. But you are not wandering in the dark, we are journeying through the dark. This candle burns to remind us as brightly this year as any year in the past that God's purpose is being worked out. And as we said, to Hannah Ross this morning in her baptism, even when we don't fully understand it, it is trustworthy and it is true. Hallelujah and amen.